All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFP Talk 181. This is our opportunity to talk to you about whatever you'd like to discuss in college football, as well as the topics of the day. So many things going on before we kind of fire this up. I just wanted to uh, say just a couple of quick comments about some nice things happening on RCFP. Number one, we had our holiday drive, which it's obviously February now, but because we created a 501c3, it takes a bit of a delay to actually get the money that were donated. So it was really nice at the beginning of this week, we donated $18,000 that was raised by people on RCFB, and we gave half of it to Toys for Tots, so $9,000 to the Marines Toys for Tots, and $9,000 to for children's hospitals. So that was also kind of nice uh, because usually we give it to the top three, like in a way to incentivize people. You know, if you're a fan of a school, you just say, you know, your team name is attached to your donation and we give it to the three children's hospitals associated with the three biggest fan bases. So uh, this year we had a tie for third. So instead of like coming up with a tiebreaker, we just split it because it was so much money to go around. So we gave $4,500 to uh, Children's Hospital in upstate New York that is closest to Army West Point. That was the tricky one. We've never, they don't have a Children's Hospital on the West Point campus. So we had a, actually called West Point and they got back to me and they were really good about that. So we gave it to the uh, Children's Hospital associated with them. Tulane Green Wave, we gave $2,700 to the Children's Hospital of New Orleans. Uh, Notre Dame, we gave $900 to Beacons Children's Hospital in South Bend. And for South Dakota State, we gave $900 to the Sanford Children's Hospital in Sioux Falls. So I just wanted to really quickly go over that because it's a big part of what we do in the uh, in the winter months and to give that money again, our ninth annual holiday drive. It's great to do that, and we love to support people and support children at uh, RCFB. And, hey, you know, another interesting kind of milestone before I forget, we hit 3 million subscribers on RCFB. That's amazing because literally at the beginning of the season, we hit 2 million. So that was kind of an interesting exponential growth. Um, we think Reddit for a little while there was making us a suggested subscription for people who are joining Reddit. Like, hey, you like college football? Try RCFB. So it, we seem to have benefited by that uh, by a million, which is kind of interesting. So how many of those people post? I don't know. I don't care. I don't get a share of it. So honestly, I have no idea how many of those people show up. But all of that said. Lots of things going on in college football. I mean, there's just been so many things shifting over. I see if you'd like to join the conversation, hit request on the Twitter app. But I see, John, you've hit request. I'll let you up here. Some other topics. Obviously, the coaching shifts. I mean, we had just sort of a – I mean, not – I mean, it's amazing how many things happened after we had our last conversation because Boston College obviously hired Bill O'Brien. That was to be expected. But the real kind of record skip freeze frame moment was Chip Kelly – leaving UCLA to take his uh, to take Bill O'Brien's place at Ohio State for however short of a tenure he had as our offensive coordinator. I don't think that's necessary. I mean, okay, I have to be honest here. Some of you may know I'm a USC alumnus, so, you know, there was some joking around in, in kind of our sort of, you know, Twitter, or I should say our, our chat group that, hey, oh my gosh, what happened to UCLA? That's got to that's gotta, that's gotta bite. But at the same time, Chip Kelly, by all accounts, is kind of an interesting guy. He didn't really care uh, that much about what he was. I mean, he didn't really have a passion for what he was doing. And the idea of staying until he got fired wasn't something he wanted. Kept putting his name into every hat that was available and the hats would give it back to him. So he and Ryan Day go back. Ryan Day played for Chip Kelly at New Hampshire. So I think there's something to be said about the connection between the two. Ryan Day stepping back from being his own play caller. And clearly he must trust Chip Kelly a lot. And Kelly's made a ton of money in his lifetime, and I think he doesn't mind that he's going to take a pay cut for that. And then UCLA, 
decided to promote their running backs coach, who was a former running back great, Deshaun Foster. Like, again, I'm old enough to remember when Deshaun, Deshaun Foster and I are actually about the same age. I just remember when he was playing for UCLA. Um, his The end of his career was so stupid. I mean, it wasn't his, well, somewhat his fault, but not really, because it was the stupid NCAA rules. He missed the final couple of games for UCLA because he drove a borrowed uh, Ford Expedition that belonged to an actor who was on the TV show St. Elsewhere back in the day. Like, he wasn't even going on, I think, at the time. But because of that, uh, somehow he got ratted out by... I can't remember who it was. It was all, like, really weird. It has nothing to do... Oddly enough, I don't think UCLA fan, USC fans were brought into this. It ended up being, like, some tiff in the, the, the family of the person who donated, who, who loaned him the car. And, uh, yeah, he ended up having to miss his final couple of games. And, again, that's how weird it It's so weird to think where we are now compared to where things were when that happened around, oh, 2001. But here he is, the new head coach of UCLA. So I know there's some controversy over, you know, taking a, a coordinator and putting him all the way up to head coach. But UCLA kind of arrived in this in a really awkward time. February is not when you're looking for a new head coach. Typically, a lot of the potential candidates were already off the table I'd be curious to know, and I haven't seen reporting on this yet, what the buyout is like for Deshaun Foster. Obviously, the players like him a lot, but it reminds me a little bit of, I mean, have they structured this like Mississippi State did with Zach Arnett, where again, Mike Leach dies unexpectedly and really, I mean, first of all, it's a tragedy, but also an awkward time for them to hire a new coach. So they they took Zach Arnett, gave him a, a contract with a very low buyout. So if it didn't work out, they could kind of pull the cord. And they did uh, this season and then were able to kind of enter the normal hiring cycle. And obviously they were able to to get the guy from, uh, oh my gosh, the name just slipped my head, the, the offensive coordinator from uh, Oklahoma. So, you know, again, that's, uh, I wonder if UCLA has done something like that. So if this doesn't quite pan out midway through the season, they can maybe jump in and get their name in, in front of the uh, the coaching carousel. But we'll see. That's those are some of the the bigger stories going on right now. But John, what's on your mind? Hey, man, how you doing? Sorry, I, I missed the last couple of minutes. Um, for some reason, everything was uh, was dead silent on my end. So I think I only caught half of what you're talking about. <laughs> well, hopefully it was. Uh, we'll see. Uh, it's always fun for me to then go back and see what recorded or not. But uh, hopefully that went through. But what's on your mind, man? Oh uh, well, you know, we're just talking. You're just talking about coaches, man. When, when are we officially gonna have the coaching portal? We have the transfer portal. Can we just get a coaching portal, portal at this point? Because it feels like we can't have a, a – seems like a lot of coaches are not really full committal these days on, on some of their jobs, which, you know, for all the criticism on players, is, is quite wrong to see coaches, you know, flip-flopping as much as players do these days. But um, another point I just want to make, too, um, I just want to give a quick, quick shout-out to the college football innovator, that's Connor Stallions, forever improving the game until the end of time. Real, a real visionary that we didn't know we had until it was too late. Yeah, you know, because I know one of the joke. I didn't. I'm gonna admit I didn't make that joke on RCFB, but I saw it. But the uh, the helmet communication in college football seems to be coming near after. Because for those who may not be aware, there was a trial run during the bowls. Um, the teams, I guess, had to opt in. Both of them had to agree to it to, to test different ways of helmet communication. Something that obviously the NFL has had for a long time, but college has not had it mostly because of the competitive issues of cost and not every team might be able to afford all of those helmets. Um, but after the Connor Stallion thing, it certainly pushed it to the forefront. And it, it appears to be there was a, I've read the articles at the NCAA football rules committee, um, excuse me, which is scheduled to meet at the end of this month. 
could come out of the meeting with proposals to allow that uh, in tech. I'm not sure if it's going to be everyone can adopt it, but they may allow people to, you know, usually it's some, both sides have to agree. It could only be used potentially in conference games if, if not every conference can do that. But yeah, it's it certainly seems to be something that got pushed to the forefront after, you know, this is so stupid. Why do we still have all these sheets and all these things on the sideline and a guy like Connor Stallions uh, can, could just put themselves. And then it became kind of because the other thing that came out, I remember early on when that controversy started to erupt was the whole reason that rule even existed was, again, competitive balance. While a school like any of the, the top P5 schools can afford to send scouts to, to all of these games. It was actually to prevent um, unfair advantages for those well-funded schools versus, say, and I hate to always pick on them, but Akron, because they're always kind of a classic example of a school that seems to always be financially tight for money or ULM, and it was hard for them to do it. So they said, all right, well, if just for the sake of competitive balance, no one can do it. Um, but now, you know, that if that pushes helmet communication, I think it'll be better. It'll be probably... Probably better for the whole game. I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I hope it works out. We'll see. I'm always a little bit like, we'll see. But uh, yeah, I love that. That's a great reference to that, man. <laughs> you know, oh, by the way, one other coach I, I should mention too. I mean, Ryan Grubb, he had almost as short of a tenure, probably a little longer of a tenure at uh, Alabama than um, than Bill O'Brien did at Ohio State. But of course, he's now going to the Seahawks. I don't know. Was it Tuscaloosa? I, I, I doubt that. that. That was kind of people were joking because like, of course, Last year in the offseason, he turned down an overture by Nick Saban to join the staff um, as the offensive coordinator. But I do think that perhaps, you know, he just I, a lot of people were expecting him to be hired as potentially one of the, the at least one of the candidates to replace Kalen DeBoer as a head coach of Washington. Some his name was in the that was in the pool a lot during the uh, the height of the um, coaching carousel. But I think maybe that's it. Maybe he just wants to go and and hop up the NFL. I, it's an interesting decision. Maybe it explains a little bit about why he, uh, he didn't take some of those head coaching jobs that were maybe thrown his way in FBS, but yeah, we'll see where that goes. And it'll be interesting to see who Alabama replaces him with. Maybe they, I don't think they have yet. I think I only, that that's only been officially stated that he's now joined the Seahawks. One other topic I also wanted to mention is this one came up today. The PAC 12 has begun the formal process to move on from Commissioner George Klyovkov to, to formally separate, formally let him go. Um, one of the jokes I read was, you know, who's getting the kids or who gets to visit? Does he get the kids on the weekend? And who are the kids? Does that mean it's Ohio? Pardon me, does that mean it's Oregon State and Washington State? Um, basically, this is, of course, for those who have been keeping up with what the kind of the 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 interesting drama towards the end of the Pac-12, Oregon State and Washington State are technically the only two now allowed to make these kinds of decisions after a court rule that they that they could box out the other ten so long as they don't do something that you know um, makes it unfair to those other ten that are departing. So they were the ones that informed the other ten schools that they've started that process. Um, Klyovkov is interesting, you know, as much as he gets a lot of heat, a lot of this is just inheriting a really bad hand. From Larry Scott, I, he could have done better. Certainly, he could have done better with the Pac-12. But there were com some other kind of interesting things. He's a commissioner, and I always caution with a guy like a commissioner, including the president of the NCAA or you know even their their pro equivalents. They are basically acting as the uh, the face of all the presidents or or the owners if it's a pro team. But the Pac-12 presidents were the ones that kind of put Klyovkov in a bad position because they 
And I know, I think some people threw, was it Arizona State under the bus for this? Their president came up with this really crazy high number of the media deal they were expecting to get. This is, of course, after USC and UCLA had announced they were bolting. And their desire for a high amount of money kind of, I think, handcuffed Klyovkov a little bit to the point where the Big 12 is able to get a better TV deal um, and take that deal before the Pac-12 even got a chance to really get an offer, which kind of backed them into trying to make a offer out of an Apple TV deal, which just obviously set everybody else to leave. So part of it was uh, the president's, part of it was him. I don't think we're entirely done with the uh, the eventual analysis of what happened to the Pac-12 and why it failed the way it did. I'm kind of looking forward to it. But certainly, this is a this is an expected move. I think a lot of people were just frankly surprised Klyovkov hadn't been booted earlier. Um, but yeah, he is now officially going to be on his way out. It would be really funny if he tried to sue them in the process. I don't know what he, I don't know what basis he would, but that would just be the perfect ending to the Pac-12. Like just lawsuit after lawsuit and angry, angry people. Um, another kind of interesting thing, also connected with the Pac-12, and this is coming from Brett McMurphy. He had a couple of interesting kind of, of notes today. One of which is because, and this is something that came up actually at the end of, of the offseason, last offseason, because the disintegration of the Pac-12 brought into a whole big question, who's going to be responsible for all these bowl tie-ins? Because obviously, you know, uh, while the joke would be, you know, the Beavers and the Cougs will play them all, there is an issue because you have all these bowl tie-ins who are now suddenly told like, oh, by the way, next season you're not going to have, you're only going to have two Pac-12 teams to choose from. So the agreement that apparently, at least for now, is if Pac-12 teams do not make, or I should say the 10 former Pac-12 teams do not make the CFB playoff, they will probably still end up in the Pac-12-affiliated bowls for just the next two seasons, not the bowls that are associated with the, uh, the Big Ten, the, uh, the Big 12, and of course the ACC, which still is hilarious to think of, of Cal and Stanford heading over there. So that means the Alamo, Las Vegas, Holiday Sun, L.A. Bowl and Independence Bowl will probably be tied into teams who were in the Pac-12 as well as the, the Pac-2 who don't make the playoffs. So that is probably something they all had to kind of agree to to keep out of the lawsuit uh, over leaving those bowls high and dry before they have a chance to even negotiate anything. Hey, John, I see your hand up. And if you'd like anyone else wants to join the conversation, feel free to hit request. Yeah, actually, um, you you mentioned you know the Pac-12 and you know the hilarity, hilarious, you know, the, the craziness that is this all coast conference. Um, what what is the possibility? I I would say I I know it's not high. I just I just want a percentage chance from you. What's the possibility five ten years down the road that we have this you know hypothetical trade that we that was talked about on Twitter this past week where you know some so, so these West Coast teams are are just sent over to the Sent over to the Big Twelve and the ACC gets like you know West Virginia, Cincinnati, et cetera. What you think zero out of one hundred percent? What's the possibility of you think of that actually happening in the next ten years? Well, I think it's low, but it really. I mean, the bottom line is money, right? So if they're just not making enough money, if they realize that these teams are there's there's because I mean the problem is those middle teams because I mean it makes sense with let's say Cal and, and uh, Stanford they are the ones that are really in the bind having to cross the country for all of their other conference games. But the Big 12 teams are pretty cogent. You know, West Virginia is a little odd, granted. But, uh, I mean, but they're not that far away. And, you know, UCF's a little far, but nothing's nothing's like Hawaii far. Something something like UCLA flying the Rutgers, although, again, they're getting a bigger cut of the pie. 
So the problem with that is the trade because the teams that might be closest to the ACC may not want to leave for the ACC because they're already, you know, they're already also close to the other Big 12 teams. So the issue there is just trying to figure out how to how to find which two teams in the Big 12 would want to then join the ACC. Maybe there are two teams. I'm not sure. But at this point, they're so close in terms of probably their benefits. I'm not sure there's real desire to shuffle. Of course, that could lower the I mean, because, you know, Let's face it, if, if they do that kind of a change, you're still going to end up with some teams that are in the far eastern part of the Big 12 that are going to be stuck playing Cal and Stanford, which is also going to be a distance for them, too. I mean, let's say UCF ends up staying in the Big 12. They're still going to have to they'd still have to fly so far to get those those two teams that are way out west. It, it, but it's an interesting question, you know, that kind of. You know, one one of the jokes, and I'm curious if this is where it's going to go. The CFP, I think they still have to vote unanimously to come up with certain agreements. And with things not entirely settled, that means the the PAC-2 still has a vote. And some people are saying, like, are they going to try? Because it sounds like they're playing some negotiation games to get a bigger, to make sure they get a full share of their amount of money. And, and they're they're even making requests that are a little bit absurd. They're asking for a share of the money going past 2025. Uh, that's a problem because if you, if those of you who may know, the the playoff is currently only set for two more seasons. Like they haven't finalized anything beyond the 2025 slash 26 season. Um, so the next two seasons are literally the only the only things that we have for certain in terms of a college football playoff. And that, by the way, is ominous because of the uh, the the strategic alliance between the SEC and Big Ten. There's a there's an outside possibility which may become closer. Uh, that they could potentially uh, come up with their solution for what would come up in 2026 and onward, um, probably participating with the other conferences, but on terms that they would rather have. We'll see. But um, one of the jokes that came out of it was, would the uh, SEC and Big Ten just finally demand that the Big Ten and ACC simply split uh, Wazoo and Wazoo and Oregon State, and just one of you take one, one of you take the other, and otherwise you're never going to participate in our new playoff in 2026. That that's been joked about, but at the same time, that is the the I mean that is the ultimate play of the the pack too. They they've pretty much been clear that their dream goal is to make it into one of these the the P four. But um, whether that happens or not, well, of course, will remain to be seen. You know, kind of a follow up. I wanted to do the second part of what McMurphy had mentioned with the Pac 12s unique bowl tie in situation. The Alamo Bowl organizers have said they still want to be able to select former Big 12 programs, Oklahoma and Texas, as its Big 12 representative for the next two seasons. Uh, that has opposed by both the SEC and the Big 12. So um, that that's kind of the awkwardness. Because, again, that's the Alamo Bowl was a, a Pac-12, Big 12 tie-in. Uh, and I think the Alamo Bowl is trying to negotiate a way to still keep Oklahoma and Texas as options for the next two seasons. But the Big 12, for obvious reasons, is not happy with the idea of having those two guys back in after they're the ones that obviously um, had ditched the, the Texas or however you want to say it out, however you want to write it out. Um, but again, and the SEC obviously isn't going to probably let go of two of their now top programs um, in terms of eyeballs to to go play in a Big 12 uh, uh, matchup. You know, I see another hand up. Let's see here. College Football Lounge. We'll let you up here as well. So, yeah, College Football Lounge, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Um, as somebody who went to Oklahoma, I uh, 
want no part of the Alamo Bowl again. I, I don't want to uh, top our six turnover performance. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to um, touch on the Pac-12 and you know just say it's a, it's a shame to me that you know Oregon State, Washington State, that they were the ones that get left out in the cold because you look at some of the mismanagement both administratively and financially at some of these Pac-12 universities and I mean it's just staggering I mean Cal absolutely massive debt from the stadium renovation Um, Arizona obviously is not in a good situation financial mismanagement there you had Arizona State with the whole Ray Anderson uh, Herm Edwards quote-unquote new leadership model thing um, UCLA, the, the Chip Kelly situation, from my understanding, it would have cost him $8 million to fire him and they either couldn't afford it or didn't want to pay that. So they just waited until he found another job somewhere else and then just promoted their running backs coach, um, which, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, maybe it works out, you know, but it, you look at the guy's resume and to just be in a position where you just have to uh, promote him because you couldn't afford an $8 million buyout doesn't seem optimal um so it's just you know it just seemed like it was just a kind of a comedy of errors from a number of schools in that league um administratively and washington state and oregon state frankly were not i mean those were pretty well-run athletic departments i mean given the financial resources they had it seems like they were performing sort of above the standard of what they could reasonably be expected to perform so you know, personally, I hope they do find a landing spot somewhere um, in the future, in the near future, um, to where you know they're not in a situation where they're having to slash their budgets. I agree with you, by the way, on the fact that they're they're both two programs that were run well. With you know, they were always in the difficult spot, which is unfortunately part of the reason why they are they were left behind. But yeah, they were. Um, they weren't mismanaged by any stretch of the imagination. They were doing a lot with a little. In fact, you know, you just look at how they're, they're I mean, they're, the Wazoo AD ended up at Michigan uh, because he was good at what he did. You know, Michigan didn't hire him because he was a bad AD. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 I, I agree with you. And it, it's an absolute shame because before Arizona sort of stole the limelight with that 240, with $240 million miscalculation, I think they said it was actually lower than that, it being only a hundred and something million dollar miscalculation in their, their school budget. UCLA was kind of the school that was, for reasons that maybe partial, both the actually the UC schools were kind of in uh, Cal being the other one, were partially in sort of self-inflicted financial distress because UCLA has actually exceptional football facilities now. They were actually infamous for being kind of comically bad. Um, the the on-campus practice field at UCLA up until 2017 was only 80 yards long. They didn't have enough room for it. So they redid everything and kind of built modern facilities at UCLA. But I have a feeling that and some some other decisions had contributed to a debt that they weren't being able to pay off very well in the uh, in the Pac-12 deal. And that's what led them to the Big Ten. So that goes to why, you know, and I, I also know with the Chip Kelly thing, UCLA, while they don't, they're kind of infamous for not packing their stadium, they do have some extremely rich boosters. But... They also have a good. They have their own ability to push back against uh, uh, Jarman, the uh, um, the uh, athletic director. So 
I know there was some resistance to firing Chip Kelly from some of the key people that they need to keep happy if they're ever going to kind of, you know, rise up and pay NIL and all of those things. And that's the thing. I mean, they are not a bad, I mean, UCLA is, is like the, the classic, oh, they're a sleeping giant. Maybe one day they'll rise up and they certainly could. And they've had great seasons before, but it's not like they can't recruit. They had an incredible quarterback on paper that um, as a true freshman, unfortunately got injured and now he's at Oregon, but so they can do those things. But I think, yeah, Chip Kelly just did not want to, he just seemed tired of it too. So it was like a perfect departure. You actually had a quirky enough coach to say, you know what? I probably have a ton of money in my pocket right now. He's got his house in New Hampshire. He's happy to go there, relax. Um, And I'll just take millions of dollars to go coach um, and do the X's and O's stuff. I really enjoy while coaching with somebody who, Seems to trust me and I trust him because he was my, you know, he was my player. And, you know, when I was, because obviously, as I mentioned before, Ryan Day played for uh, Chip Kelly at, at um, New Hampshire. So there's that connection, too. But I, I like your points. They're, they're all very salient on that stuff. I mean, USC, Oregon and Washington seem to be the schools that had the, the most clear plan of what to do. Um, like USC clearly wanted out for whatever reason. I don't know if it's ever been entirely clear. I think. There was a decision to pair them up with UCLA and UCLA for all its problems. I've said this before, no school in America other than like Harvard and Yale has an international market value like UCLA. I didn't believe it until I started traveling a lot more. Like I remember, gosh, 2005, I traveled to China and there was a UCLA store in a mall in Shanghai, like, and it was an officially licensed UCLA store. I went to, you know, Europe and you go to H&M, which is like, a you know, obviously you've seen them here, but they're a European brand. And like they'll sell like shirts with American logos on it, like the Rolling Stones lips or something like that, except they'll also inexplicably have a Harvard logo, a Yale logo and a UCLA logo. So that that value, I kind of get it. It's not like saying you're getting the you know, it, 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 there's there's something there to it. But, yeah, no, they they are, though, terrible. And, you know. As people keep forgetting, they still have to now start paying. They haven't figured out the amount yet. They have to figure it out, but they have to pay the calimony. The UC system said UCLA has to pay Cal a yearly, you know, divorce alimony, what you want to say, after they join the Big Ten, um, although they have yet to set the amount. So I cannot wait to hear how much that is. That is that is actually going to add a little bit of a salt to that particular relationship. It already did before, but they still haven't put a number on it and because they're I mean, they're a public university. They're going to have to eventually announce that. Uh, John, your hand's up. Yeah, hey, would you mind just going a little more in-depth about the Arizona situation? And do, you, do we think that's a sole event or that is something we, that could be possibly happening in other schools? Because, I mean, you know, college debt isn't new with the athletics programs, but I, I think— Well, it wasn't athletics. To be clear, this uh, wasn't okay. athletics. This was the entire university somehow thought it had $240 million it never had. Like that is, and again, they've, they've round, they've rolled it down a little bit, but it's still an insane amount of money that somehow the university planned, thought they had. So they planned their budget based on it. The entire university did. So because it's such an incredible amount of money, excuse me, they, they're not only going after like the, they have to go after their potential cuts for student scholarships, instructor salaries. But they may even have to go after sports, too. So, I mean, football, okay, let's face it. Football is safe. Men's basketball in Arizona is absolutely safe. Probably women's basketball as well. But it's like, you know, this is going to potentially tighten some things 
for non-revenue sports. I know I was listening to uh, the Athletics um, uh, podcast. I actually listened to it today. They had an interview with Jed uh, Fish over at, uh, you know, obviously he's at Washington now. And he, he wasn't being too direct about some of the reasons he was leaving because he was being, you know, uh, diplomatic about it. But one of the things he said was basically, you know, at Washington, I can get a, a budget for a support staff I was never going to be able to get at Arizona. And the reason, you know, that was understood is because of all this stuff that was going on. You know, I saw both of you guys unmute. Uh, College Football Lounge, I saw you unmute first, and then we can go to John. Yeah, I just since we're talking about Arizona and uh, Fish, I just wanted to jump in real quick. And do you think there's any truth to this? And this became kind of contentious between Arizona media and <clears throat> – um, you know, some media elsewhere is reported that um, Fish had interviewed for the UCLA job. Do you think there's any truth to that at all, or do you think? It Boy, was- you know, th- I love that you brought that one up because I was debating about bringing it up as a topic. It certainly seems that he's vehemently denying it. Um, I don't know the the argument that I think is the most believable is if UCLA, you know, depending on how you look at it, the fact that UCLA went with Deshaun Foster. Seems like they just knew they weren't going to be able to get anyone else. It, it just felt that way because Jed Fish would have had a buyout at Washington that would have been fairly significant. And UCLA was not really, did not appear to be interested in trying to overspend in anything given their financial situation, at least not until they have some more of that Big Ten money coming in, um, at any of that Big Ten money coming in. So I, I don't know. I, I'm leaning on the fact that that might have been a, a smoke-like kind of rumor that maybe someone was throwing out there or misinterpreted, Be- only because I think, uh, again, if based on what we know about, as you mentioned, UCLA wasn't willing to buy out Chip Kelly, and they were just kind of happy to have him leave on his own accord, um, which he did, because, again, they were lucky he's quirky enough like that. Um, and I think they, it makes sense, because, again, uh, I, I'm very curious to see the, the 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 contract that they gave to Sean Foster when they get the details, the buyout on that. I'm I'm hoping it's really low because they're kind of testing out to see if the running back coach can suddenly be the head coach. I mean, because again, players can love him. I mean, I've seen the video. The players are are thrilled. He's a nice guy, you know. That's awesome, but that doesn't always translate into being a head coach. Um, they've seen plenty of those over the years. Um, so I wonder, and and because of those factors, you kind of look at. They, why would they have kicked the? T- I mean, maybe they kicked the tires. Maybe they talked to their the agent. What's his buyout? And they heard it and like, okay, um, we'll, we'll have to come back to you later on that one, Haas. But uh, I, I, I'm guessing if there was, it was very initial. But I would be shocked if it was an interview. That said, if this had opened up in let's say December, I would not have been surprised if they made a move at Jedfish because that that I think is what's feeding it because. Everyone thought if Chip Kelly left, Jed Fish was going to be one of the targets. But I just think that Jed Fish at, at Washington made him unobtainable for UCLA, and I'd be shocked if it went particularly far on that. But that I, we'll see. I mean, I've seen both. I mean, obviously, there's been notable people kind of shooting down that rumor. But, of course, the basis for shooting down the rumor is coming from a person who might not want to admit that he talked to UCLA to begin with. So... We're kind of we're kind of taking people's words for it to a little bit of an extent. John, was your hand up? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to ask: uh, Does the state of Arizona know how to count? I I, I kind of say it ser- uh, kind of seriously because this is now two different times where I, Arizona College 
has now made a massive miscalculation on money. I'm just I'm really curious if they know how to count in Arizona at this point. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna touch that one only because with Arizona State, it died. That, that that's a joke that is has been overplayed. Um, you know, oh gosh, one other topic I wanted to also mention, only because again, it happened. I'm looking at the the date on this six days ago. So again, right after we did the last show is Nick Saban, Nicholas Saban, uh, Nicholas Lou Saban. I always love that's his full name because of obviously Lou Saban being such a great coach in his own right is going to be a game day analyst, which I'm very curious to see how that works out because they, the way it's been written out in the initial announcement alongside host Reese Davis, Lee Corso, Kirk Herbstreit, Desmond Howard and Pat McAfee at the desk. First of all, that desk is getting really big and really full. I'm not sure there's been, I mean, again, I, I don't know how legitimate the rumors are, but they were, for someone who wasn't totally a, a joker, That is. does that mean Pat McAfee's quietly planning to leave? Because it's been kind of hinted he isn't entirely thrilled with the way things are going. Um, but Or it could be, is are they sort of creating a plan B for Lee Corso, depending on where he goes? I mean, we obviously wish him long health and life, but, you know, we've all seen how he's doing. So... We'll see how it goes, but that's still going to be, at least if they're all planning the way they are now, it's going to be pretty full desk. So I'm excited to see. I think he'll be an interesting commentator. I've heard him talk a little bit. I mean, anyone who's seen games where the, the Crimson Tide aren't in the championship game, he's oftentimes brought in to at least comment on it a little bit. Um, I'm curious to see how it goes. You know, For example, uh, as it's been pointed out, Urban Meyer on the Fox show, like I, I end up not watching it live as much, but I'll sometimes go to YouTube and watch his play breakdowns on, you know, if you've ever watched those clips, he's really good at it and really enjoyable. Like you get, I love it. It's a, I always tell people if you, if you ever go to a media day or like a conference media day where you talk to like the head coaches of all these schools, the first thing that strikes you, if you haven't really done it is when you actually sit down and talk to all these coaches, you usually pretty quickly go, Oh, I get it. I get how you get all these young, young, talented guys come play for you because i'm listening to you man i'm hyped up like you know so again like it was fun to, it's fun to see him draw plays in fact i wish they would do that a little bit more and maybe if they can get saban to start doing that oh my gosh that would be exciting I, i'd be looking forward to that john your hands up yeah hey just one more pack 12 uh related question uh with regards to washington state and uh, oregon state do we think there's a better possibility of them becoming a more permanent member of the mountain mountain west or do we th do we actually do think someone does pick them up in the long term, you know, I'm I was leaning towards the latter. I thought they were basically spent and understandably trying to milk what's left of the pack too, uh, up until the point where they can't get enough out of it and then join the Mountain West. That was my assumption. However, uh, there is an outside chance because it sounds like they're being a little disruptive, which I don't blame them. Uh, in the CFP meetings because they still get a vote, they still get a full vote, uh, and and all of the the CFP meetings have to be unanimous. So, uh, or at least some of their main decisions have to be unanimous. So they could be a stumbling block to the point where we'll see how they leverage it. There is an outside chance that they try to leverage it too much. And the result is you get some very angry programs that recreate a uh, 2026 onward playoff that is not through the CFP. And that would, would potentially be to their detriment. But I don't blame what they're doing. I don't think anyone will be that vindictive. I think they're trying their hardest. And as I've said before, the priority is their Oregon state and Wazoo are still trying to get into a P4 conference. I think if they feel they've exhausted everything and they've exhausted whatever financial benefit 
the pack uh, gives them is just a, a two two conference two team conference, then they'll probably move to the next level. But obviously, they've they're going to have a scheduling arrangement with the Mountain West. Um, but I think they're going to prolong it as long as possible. And a formal move is a merger or a, or a, a combination um, until it's just until they decide that it, they financially can't continue. Um, not being part of another conference uh, unless they can get into that uh, the, the P four, you know. Speaking of the uh, the college football playoff, another thing I should mention, and I know this is reported today as well. It looks like ESPN and the college football playoff are in agreement on a new contract for this twelve uh, team playoff, so it increases the payout a decent amount. I mean, it, it's going from uh, it's a six year extension worth one point three billion dollars per year. Previously. The uh, the semifinals were giving a payout of six hundred and eight million dollars per year. So for those three games that comprise the old playoff, um, plus the other four New Year's Six bowls. So this will add one point three. Um, I know there was a little bit of wiggle room on all of this. It was a little bit of negotiation because I was reading a quote that said some of the TV people were like, "Look, there's going to be a, pl- a first round playoff game that could end up being like Liberty at." Cincinnati and you know they're, they're like the value of that for a TV audience is not going to be the same so you kind of see why this it, it's still an incredible amount of money um let's be clear so but that was kind of the um that was the the average sort of lowers a little bit um the current contracts average fails to include the pricing for on-campus first round games so it looks like again they're, they're taking that into account as they negotiate it so there's a lot of money on the table now which it's going to be interesting too. The only reason I mentioned that deal is because the this is again an outside chance. Um, but when they announced the Big Ten uh, SEC strategic partnership, there was a thought that with the the playoff technically only agreed to between the the conferences and the CFP, it only runs until uh, not the twenty twenty four season, but the twenty twenty five season next year. Then. Technically, we don't have a playoff agreement for the game, the, the seasons after that. Um, there was a thought that if the uh, PAC, pardon me, if the SEC and Big Ten are not thrilled with it, they may then in 2026 create an alternative playoff situation where they would probably invite all the, all the other conferences again, but it would be on terms that maybe they like more, maybe more at large bids, which would benefit their conference. Uh, theoretically in that scenario, but by locking down this TV deal with ESPN, the CFP may have strategically positioned themselves in a way that would potentially uh, uh, kind of push those two T those two mega conferences to, to still play ball with the CFP as it is now. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the CFP is run now, because of course, we're getting the uh, oh I forgot his name the Air Force uh, Academy General uh, I met him actually at uh, on the sideline of the championship um, and uh, it's really obviously he's a military guy so you know what it's like you know you talk to a general they, they they their lives are together you talk to them and you can tell like all right you know exactly what you, what your plan is uh, but I'm very curious to see how, what it's going to be like to see the CFP um, run by someone with that kind of experience um, let's see here. You know, another interesting fact is now, obviously, the, the Super Bowl is done. We're heading towards the NFL draft. I always consider that the graduation ceremony for a lot of college football. To me, that's kind of the end of the season. Um, I saw, again, uh, one of the interesting quotes is only 79% of the quarterbacks invited to the draft combine, which is going to be in Indy this year, 
um, were transfers. So that that's interesting because, again, the 321 players get invited to the NFL Combine, people with promising talent who are probably going to be drafted. Uh, 35% of them were transfers at some point in their college careers. But among that group, the leaders are the quarterbacks with a, uh, a 79% transfer rating um, for all of those. And that was Max Olsen at The Athletic. He, he threw those numbers out there. Um, excuse me. You know, uh, let's hear John. I see your hand up and then we can get to you, uh, college football lounge. Yeah. Hey, I just want to say a uh, shout out to, uh, Virginia state getting a guy to the combine this year. That's, that's big for them. I mean, big, I mean, just big for, for them, their conference. Um, I say, just want to give a quick shout out. Absolutely. Yeah. And HBCU and I believe they're, aren't they D2? I, I always forget. I know they're like they, they've got a really cool logo because it looks like uh, I I think yeah they're D two they're D two yeah sure. it's, uh, yeah so it's hard to remember that's not an yeah. easy thing to do because again three hundred twenty one spots I think what Michigan's got like eighteen players that were invited I mean this is all going back to Harbaugh saying he thinks he's going to have the most players ever he's going to challenge for the record of of players drafted and um, you know, it made a little bit, it made sense even when he said it earlier on only because so many of his, this team and part of the reason why, you know, we've talked about this at nauseum, but part of the reason why it was expected for him to depart, no matter how Michigan did the season was because he had built a team that was maturing completely at this season. So it was, this was it, the make or break season for that talent. Um, and then they were all going to be departing all at once uh, for the most part. So yeah, that makes sense why they'd be flooding the draft. Right now, so Culture Ball Lounge, you've been super patient. Yeah, uh, since you were touching on uh, the draft and the NFL, you know, one, one thing I've been thinking a, a lot about recently is, you know, the number of players in the NFL we've seen over the years who, you know, have been superstars who played at either small um, FBS schools or not even at the FBS level. And in the transfer transfer portal era, that's just not going to be a thing anymore. Um, They may start there. They're not going to finish there. And, you know, an example I would give is Jordan Love, who really caught fire at the end of the year, was playing really well in the playoffs, played his entire college career at Utah State. I mean, that's just not something that's going to happen. And I'm not saying whether – I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just saying it is a thing. Um, it's going to be fundamentally different moving forward unless there's some dramatic change in course, which I don't foresee. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be something that uh, is interesting to watch moving forward. Oh, I agree with you completely. Yeah, I, I think we've entered an interesting zone where even some of the the P four teams are going to be kind of feeding each other, although it might go in different directions. I mean, obviously we also see some of the players from these, these top teams realize maybe they're not getting the, 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 the touches or they're not in the depth chart and then they get a chance to hop over to another program and, and perhaps do just enough there to, to get that NFL interest. So I'm curious to see how this evolves with time, but although I agree the, the, the FCS and, um, and G5 programs are the ones that are not benefiting the most out of this, uh, for sure. Although, you know, for example, Caden Salter, you know, the quarterback at Liberty, he was an interesting one because he, tra- he went there from, from Auburn, as I believe, and he put his name into the portal and then stayed. So obviously maybe they threw some money his way or maybe he just it wasn't quite the interest he was hoping for. But there'll be a little bit of things like that. But certainly with a lot of these players, um, 
NIL and, and the portal have, have changed that a little bit. And uh, what, certain things have definitely turned out differently. I And I've heard this commented by, by several groups. Um, I was I'm surprised how much I enjoyed Dan Wetzel's takes. I used to absolutely not be a fan of him. And the, maybe it's personal because it, he was the, the, the spearhead on the Reggie Bush stuff back in uh, – <laughs> back in 2006 and seven and stuff like that. But um, the thing is he pointed out, like we're all expect the, the, the biggest fear is you were going to go back to the old times. Like, and I say the old times, like before scholarship limits where you get Alabama under bear Bryant or all these teams just stacking up players and all the best talent. And there was that brief period of time where it genuinely looked like Texas A&M was doing that. And then it turns out, you know, you could do that. And then everyone wants to leave because they're not getting, they're not getting the touches they thought they were going to get, and they can't quite succeed as planned. You know, um, it kind of reminds me there was a there was a post on RCFB that I thought was kind of a fun one. Uh, FBS schools who have the least living former coaches, so the, the least amount of coaches who had been their head coach who are no longer alive. And it was pointed out Penn State only has one, and it's the new head coach at Boston College, Bill O'Brien. Because um, obviously Joe Pa was there for forever and a day, and then he passes away. Uh, Bill O'Brien was brought in to kind of uh, fix things. He was there for a couple of years before he went to the NFL. And then they've been James Franklin ever since. So th- that one's kind of striking. Um, uh, obviously, you got Iowa, which is, has been the, the Kirk Ferentz show forever. But the funniest one, again, I love it. This, this A&M fan, I love him. His name is Turkish guy. He's, always, he's been on RCFB forever. But you know, we have seven former head, living head coaches. And he went through the whole line. Jimbo Fisher, Kevin Sumlin, Mike Sherman, Dennis Franchione, R.C. Slocum, Jackie Sherrill, Gene Stallings, all former head coaches of Texas A&M. All alive, and and you could even throw in some of the uh, some of the uh, the others who were um, uh, interim head coaches at A and M. That was a stunning number. That is, uh, and of course, a Florida State fan jumped in and said, "Like, does this count if the coach is still physically alive but dead to the fan base?" And again, there you get a little bit of that uh, that Willie Fritz love coming from those folks over at FSU. Um, another kind of amusing comment. I was I, I don't know how this guy thought this, but again. Uh, Another uh, fan, an Ohio State fan, uh, Jay Sean Derulu, uh, I don't know how to say it, but uh, he said, I just realized after 14 years that Chip Kelly and Brian Kelly are not brothers or related at all. I, I don't know how you could think that. Like, just because a guy's last name is Kelly? I mean, what, what does that mean? I mean, you might be from Ireland. I don't even know about that one. It's like Smith, you know. I'll be honest, there is one um, there's one coach who honestly, I was shocked to realize he wasn't related to another head coach. And that is Alabama States, uh, uh, Eddie Robinson Jr. Because Eddie Robinson Sr. in my mind is of course the, the legendary grambling head coach who at one point had the most, uh, wins in college football, but, and he, his son is actually called Eddie Robinson Jr. I've met him, uh, at a, uh, cause each year in the national championship week, they'll do the Eddie Robinson award. Um, which is a coach's award. And like I was there when they handed it to Ed Orgeron and and uh, Eddie Robinson's son is there and he's Eddie Robinson Jr. But the the head coach of Alabama State's a different Eddie Robinson Jr. And that's the that kind of adds to the the confusion of that. And that that's one of my because I remember when I was trying to figure it out because I was helping um one of the things I do is I'm actually I was hired to do a a, a show for um another media group and I was asked to help look up fathers and sons. Uh, we did a show on fathers and sons head coaches, and I was actually looking up Eddie Robinson, and I'm like, 
why doesn't it mention his son was a head coach at uh, Alabama State? And I was reading the uh, Eddie Robinson Jr. Like, why doesn't it mention his dad was Eddie Robinson? And finally, I found that article that said, like, no, they're not related. And that 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 one makes more sense to me than Chip and Brian Kelly. I'll tell you that much. And, you know, it was interesting, too, kind of making that list about, you know, what were coaching dynasties? Because there's so many of them. And I thought, you know, the the lead for uh, in college football, I don't think it's it's pretty easy to argue that one of the the most just college football coaches right now, I think the Harbaugh's may be in the lead because you got Jack Harbaugh, who won a, a championship and FCS program, which, which is now FBS Western Kentucky. Obviously, Jim Harbaugh just won his championship at Michigan. I mean, we can even give a bonus for his brother being a, a Super Bowl champion uh, with the Ravens. And then his son, Jay, is also a, a college coach. That's a striking thing. I, there, there's very few people because we went through everyone. I mean, Pete Carroll, obviously, his son, Brennan, is now the uh, the uh, Washington Huskies offensive coordinator, along with, obviously, Bill Belichick's son, Stephen, is now going to be the defensive coordinator at Washington. Um, Bobby Bowden's probably the other one I want to mention just in terms of coaching trees because the late Bobby Bowden, obviously legend in his own right. And then you had Tommy Bowden who, you know, uh, he was, he's probably now better known as the guy who preceded Dabo at Clemson, but he wasn't bad at Clemson. Uh, and he had an undefeated season at Tulane, um, with Rich Rod as his offensive coordinator. That's a really funny one. I don't know if you guys ever talked about that, but Rich Rod, um, he, people were upset that he did not get the, uh, he did not get to succeed, uh, Bowden at Tulane. That's, that's still one of those touchy subjects. And then he eventually ended up becoming obviously the head coach of, uh, Western, probably West Virginia, where he did really well, pissed them all off by leaving for Michigan, <laughs> pissed off everyone at Michigan and has now, uh, obviously ended up at Arizona and is now su- currently a successful coach again at, uh, Jacksonville state, which got obviously it's first full FBS season and managed to even back its way into a bowl this season. Um, another one that we wanted to mention, of course, you know, Tommy Bowden, Terry Bowden and Jeff Bowden. So just kind of an interesting kind of story there. And then one other family that kind of came up in all of this is you can't go, can't avoid the brother stoops because of the, the amount of success in that family. Ron Stoops senior was the dad and, and he was a, uh, studied, I guess, education at Youngstown state and was a high school coach at Cardinal Mooney out in Youngstown. Um, but then his sons all became coaches. Ron Stoops, the oldest, Ron Stoops Jr., uh, followed in his dad's footsteps, actually. He went to Youngstown State, studied education, and was a high school and college assistant his whole career. He's still alive, obviously. Bob Stoops, we all know who he is, Oklahoma head coach. He retired when he did only because Ron Stoops, I mean, he did not live long. I mean, he, he, he said it when he retired. It's like, my dad died of a heart attack um, You know when he was like, oh gosh, he was like 50-something, 52 years old. So that's why Bob Stoops retired when he did. Um, and he ended up being a decent player. Obviously, he and his his two brothers, Mike and Mark, also went to play for Iowa. And all three of them became head coaches um, at one point or another. Uh, obviously, Mike Stoops is no longer head coach, but he was the head coach of Arizona. And Mark is obviously the head coach of Kentucky. So it's kind of fascinating stuff. The bonus with that family is only because around the same time in these same kind of high school classes were the Politi brothers, Carl uh, and, and Bo, Carl, Played for Columbia and obviously was the uh, FAU head coach for a little while. And then Bo obviously was Nebraska and Youngstown State. And he was a good player. He, he, he actually got recruited by Ohio State to, to play there back in the day. So that was kind of a fun kind of conversation um, that we put together and, and kind of these relationships uh, that kind of popped ahead when I was reading this, this gentleman who did not know that those two were not related. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. Well... You know what? I am going to slowly wrap this up. It's It's been not quite an hour, but I think we've hit so many topics tonight. Um, 
And I think, uh, oh, John, your hand's up. No, go ahead. Yeah, hey, I just want to ask, um, you enjoyed the game this past Sunday? Any thoughts, feelings? <laughs> you know, I I am a weird, weird. I'm like I joke. There's like me and ten other people where we're like crazy college football fans, and we're not like super passionate NFL fans. So I, I was familiar with the game. I, I was actually tutoring my kids for most of the most of the game. Um, <laughs> I was it was interesting to see. I caught the end of I caught overtime, and that was great just to see finally the NFL embrace a sane overtime system. Um, I'm glad that and if I'm glad that, you know, for how big of an audience that got, because that blew the roof off of a televised event. I think what is 120 million people watched yeah. it at one point or another. It that like, it went to oh, it wasn't a blowout. That's like the best thing that can happen for the sport. Because yeah, all the comments have been made about, you know, oh, Taylor Swift, people watch him because of that. Well, you know, fine. I'm sure I'm not saying a majority of them, but there's gonna be a group of people that might not have never watched football game who watched that and went like that was amazing. Um, that was an incredible ending. And maybe they'll be the ones, again, I'm not saying it's going to be like a majority of them. But, I mean, you know, a few more people, a few more, you know, uh, get more people into the sport. It never hurts. College Football Lounge, what's up? Yeah, I, so I just wanted to, to say that I, I pretty much was just like you in that I went through a lo pretty long period of time where I barely watched the NFL at all. I uh, watched it a lot as a kid. I was a huge Dolphins fan. Um, I'm aging myself here, but um, Marino in the uh, 80s, early 90s. Um, and then I went through a period of time um, in the 2000s, 2010s, where I, you know, I barely even watched it at all. And now I have two tween daughters and a wife who want to uh, watch every single Chiefs game. Uh, <laughs> So I have, you know, also watched every single Chiefs game. So I think I've watched more NFL this season than I had in quite some time. That is so amazing. I, I, it's cute, though. Isn't it great? Like, if you can get your kids to watch something that you're into, I mean, that, that's the best part. My kids are a little too young right now, and they're, and they're boys, so they're really, that's not really a selling point for them. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's so funny, too. I'm always like, do I want to get them into dad's college football team? Like, I don't want to have them, like, feel, like, senses of value and, you know, like the, the things I feel after a game. Um, but, no, I love that. That's great. That's wonderful that that happened. I wonder, I, I imagine what, what that experience is, has been surprisingly the, the representative of, I think, a lot of folks um which which brought them into it but that's that's a sweet story thank you for sharing that yeah I, yeah i was gonna say man i know people are critical or people are say they're tired of seeing it but i mean i i think you know if anything it, it brought a lot of people who never really considered watching football into the sport of football which you know i i always say it's never a bad thing whatever got them in there in the first place what keeps and then with football keeps them around I say I'm all for it. I think you know more football fans is not a bad thing. In this yeah, world. and I think the NFL is also doing something which I do like, which is their out international outreach. I know it isn't always great for the fans who are finding out. Like, I mean, they announced that game. It's going to be in Madrid. That's going to be exciting. Um, and they've got a game, I know, I think in Brazil that's coming up. Um, and there's huge fan bases in those countries, not like a majority of the population, but enough to, to legitimize it. But I did watch some of the, the like, I go and, and read the, I don't necessarily wait for the commercials. I go and see the ratings of the commercials, and I watch them. Um, that are the ones that are rated really high, and that out that uh, NFL international one that was set in Accra and Ghana. That was a that was an excellent commercial. That was like 
I, I love when they do this stuff like that because that's, I've always said I'm a huge fan of international college football, which is also a thing too, to kind of encourage that development, which would also develop pro leagues. Um, and each There are a lot of pro leagues in other countries that are nowhere, nowhere even remotely close to the talent, obviously in the NFL, uh, but some of them allow import players. So you'll sometimes see random guys who you may remember from college football who end up in you know, Japan or or Europe playing in these these kind of very amateur leagues, but it, it's kind of amusing. So any more to get people interested in the sport, I think it's wonderful. I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. It's actually coming up on about an hour. Uh, this was RCFB Talk 181. We do these Tuesday night. We'd like to hear from you. I'm Bob Akairi. It's always great talking to you. Thank you, John and College Football Lounge. It was great having you as part of this conversation. I'll go ahead and sign off. Thanks again. Now I'm going to hang up and listen.